Today's episode is dedicated to the memory of Bethany Rutledge. The triathlon community and world lost a wonderful spirit, person, coach, writer, mom, wife, and friend just a few days ago. Um, I recorded this episode with Danny Grable last week, and while I was in Madison, Wisconsin, I spoke with Danny, and she let me know of Bethany's passing. According to her husband's Facebook page, she laid down to take a nap and just did not wake back up. So, Bethany, you will be missed. I know your husband, John, and your two baby boys are going to be reeling from this for a very, very long time, and we are going to hold them up in our thoughts and prayers and with support in any way that is possible. Bethany, thank you for your life, your example, your positive influence. You will be genuinely and sincerely missed. Today's guest on the podcast is Danny Grable. You may remember her from episode five. That's right, episode five. She is one of the first guests on this podcast, and she's incredible. She's the first female finisher of the Epic Five race, and she's done more amazing stuff since then. So we were just doing a little Where Are They Now on the podcast and catching up with Danny. Just had a little chat. So hope you all enjoy this episode with Danny Grable. Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day, and it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. Today's guest is Danny Grable. She's back. Hi. Hey. What's up? Not much. <laughs> Not much at all. A little just, bit of nothing and everything. Just walking around being, you know, the first finisher of Epic Five and all your <laughs> awesomeness, right? Yep. Yep. Yes. Okay. So we were talking before we got on. Danny was one of the first podcast guest I had. And she is also the first female attempt and finish of the Epic Five race, correct? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I want to, if you haven't listened to Danny's first episode, go back. I think she was like five, four, six around there, but we're going to recap that big event here just quickly because it really is so, so very epic. So Danny, tell everyone what Epic Five is and what you did. Sure. So Epic Five is um, a triathlon that's held in Hawaii where you do an Ironman distance triathlon a day for five days in a row, one on each of the five islands of Hawaii. Sounds fun. Yeah. It's a blast. <laughs> highly recommend it. So you recounted a lot of those details on my podcast and recently you were on Rich Rolls. So anyone interested in that, definitely go listen. But what actually got you started in kind of the endurance, the really long distance endurance racing? Um, I had a kind of interesting start. I was a pretty overweight and kind of went through a transformation where I lost a bunch of weight and I had joined a gym and I started taking a spin class um, just as a result of just trying to be, you know, fit and stay in shape and then ended up meeting some triathletes. And they were all um, pretty experienced in training for an Ironman. So when I first got into the sport, I didn't really have 
like a concept that you went through this gradual progress. I just thought everybody did Ironman. That was like the type of triathlon you did. (laughs) So I, I was really interested in that kind of from the beginning. Um, unfortunately I was in a bad accident and broke my leg kind of early into my triathlon career. So that sidelined me, but, um, I got into the really long distance stuff in 2010 after I met my, now he's my husband, but then he was my boyfriend, uh, Jason. He was getting ready to train for his first long distance run. So he was really the person that kind of pushed me into the direction that I'm in now. And you guys really feed off of each other. <laughs> we do. I we mean, have a really, crazy. yeah, like yeah. we, we joke around that sarcasm is our love language, but, um, he's, he's very much my kind of person. I don't think that there's a lot of people that would be well suited to be married to me, but he's definitely, he's definitely one of them. I just loved, I loved, loved, loved your, um, marriage announcement that you posted on Facebook. (laughs) So like when we talked, you were not engaged. There was no talk of marriage. So how did this happen? And then tell everyone about your announcement. So it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We're super, we're super low key and we've been together for a long time and never really had plans to get married. Kind of just kind of going against the grain. Um, both my parents have been married quite a few times and just, you know, I was like, eh, no, it's not for me. I'm never going to do it. Um, and then we were just talking about it one day and I'm like, all right, well, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it on my terms. Like, you know, I'm not going to change my last name. We're going to go down to the courthouse. Like it was, it was complete opposite of most women. I'm like, I don't want to party. I don't want to have to wear a dress. <laughs> I'm like, we're just going to go do it on a random Wednesday. Um, we didn't tell anybody though. We didn't tell anybody we were engaged. We didn't tell anybody we were going to get married on just on a random Wednesday, went down to the courthouse and eloped and then went and got milkshakes at Chick-fil-A afterwards. <laughs> it was kind of perfect. Um, and then we sent these really funny announcements out and it says, um, guess what? We got married. You didn't have to spend a lot of money on hotels, air travel, childcare, fancy clothes. You didn't have to take time off of work, you know, give a, a toast, et cetera. You're welcome. <laughs> and our family just started randomly getting them and our friends and people were actually pretty upset about it, but. Oh, are they? Yeah, that's we were like, funny. we can't spend money on a wedding. We need bikes. We need to travel. Oh, that's funny. That's we funny. Have to race. And then like, race you made money. everyone look bad around you that was actually getting married, right? <laughs> You're like, oh, we I know. Want I did have a friend that's present. <laughs> I know. I had a friend that was pretty deep into her wedding planning at the time, and she was like, oh, I just wish I would have eloped. I was like, it was the best $67 ever. Oh, my gosh. I know. Nothing. <laughs> I know when we got married super young and my dad was like, hey, if I give you $10,000, will you elope? And I was like, yes, of course. Mm-hmm. And he, he was like, oh, never mind. And I was like, what? That's like, so funny. I think people are, people are thinking about that more these days, though. Oh, my gosh. I would never have a wedding again. Yeah. Never. It yeah. was just a debacle and such a waste of money. And yeah. But anyway, I thought drama. it was Yeah. It was like, I mean, really, it was more the drama than anything. Like, we're not the kind of people. I'm not a super, I'm not a people pleaser. I'm just, I'm real clear about my boundaries. So the whole idea of, well, when she, like, I, I don't care enough to worry that much about other people to stress out. So it's going to, you know, the whole yeah. idea that just screams like trying to make everybody happy. Yeah. So you said you were not a people pleaser. Let's talk about that. How did you, <laughs> are you, have you ever been a people pleaser? Like, is this genetic? Cause I mean, um, that's, that's a big topic for me. Yeah. I think, you know, my, I have two very interesting parents who are very different. My dad was a, um, a, a Marine Corps, um, you know, wartime Vietnam vet 
And so his kind of attitude has always been like, are you getting shot at? And if the answer is no, and you're not going to die, then it's not really that big of a deal. That's just kind of how he is. And then my mom is just this insane kind of free spirit, just does whatever she wants to do. Um, and really kind of like a leftover hippie, just, you know, living her best life, going, Mm -hmm. going one, one week she's into this and the next week she's into something different. So neither one of them were really ever, um, into like conforming to kind of the rules. Mm. And so they never really, you know, forced, they, they always, they are both in their own ways, very competitive. So they always wanted me to be the best. So, um, you know, there was a lot of focus on making good grades and performing really well, but not really like fitting into any type of like mold or making people happy. Mm. Like we were never the family where, we had like the little matching outfits on. Everybody was like <laughs> looking really cute to take a picture. Like my mom never sent out a Christmas card. Like she, she was, her attitude was like, I, why don't I give a shit what, what, you know, you're doing for all year long. Well, I don't need your Christmas letter. Like that's kind of how she is. So <laughs> That's how I feel. I just, yeah. Yeah. It feels good to admit that. Yeah. Like there's people out there that are like, really like, I'm not, I'm not putting a Christmas card together. People are just going to throw that away. And that that's kind of how she is. Yeah. Well, would there, so you said they had, um, they were competitive and kind of had expectations. You never felt like they had expectations of you or they just expected you to always do your best. Cause I think that's kind of where maybe people pleasing is delineated in childhood. It's like, oh, we have these expectations mm-hmm. of what you should do, not just expectations that you uphold yourself to a standard of, you know, that you set for yourself. Right, right. No, there was definitely, I mean, my dad is a little bit more old school, so he kind of had some, some very clear gender, um, you know, things that he, I was always a lot more of, I would consider myself definitely to be like a more of a tomboy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't really fit into the traditional, you know, I always wanted to play the sports that my brother was playing or play with him. I wanted to play a lot rougher and he was, they were more like, well, maybe you should do ballet or, you know, play with dolls or things like that. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's hard though, because I mean, how do you not, how do you not want your children to have a life that's different and, or, you know, fill in the gaps that you didn't have in your life or how do you not put pressure, um, on them? So they, they definitely let me kind of do my own thing though. A lot of times yeah. I was allowed to dress myself, which you would see in all of my pictures from a child. <laughs> That yeah, is a, I think that's a struggle. I mean, I know growing up, I was always expected to dress a certain way. And as a result, I just don't really care what my kids wear. But right. it really is a struggle when we go somewhere that requires something other than booty shorts and a sports bra for my daughter. <laughs> and, you know, like a play. And I'm like, hey, you got to get a dress. And she's like, but I don't own a dress. Right, <laughs> like, right. Oh, my gosh, she doesn't own a dress. We have to go buy a dress. Yeah. Yeah. And my dad was, I mean, we had really clear, um, like performance, like, you know, it was, you, you weren't allowed to act crazy. You weren't allowed to act like a fool. Like you had to be respectful. Yeah. It was the military and him. And then my mom was like focused on our nutrition and health. So it wasn't like we were just allowed to eat whatever we wanted to eat because she didn't care. Mm -hmm. Um, but things that really didn't matter that much. I mean, I think my parents kind of observed that like, well, I really don't care if she wants to do this. We weren't allowed to quit things. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get that. And and that's, it's kind of like, which hill are you going to die on as a parent? Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pick There's battle, a lot right? of them. There's a lot of them you can just lose it on for sure. Yeah. So since the last time we talked, 
when I think when we got off the podcast, you had nothing on the horizon and you were like, I'm taking a break. <laughs> and then, you know, you, you sat still for like all of six months, I think. And then you tackled something else. So what did you and Jason just accomplish? Um, so in June, Jason and I just finished, uh, it's called Race Across the West. So it's a bike race that goes from Oceanside, California to Durango, Colorado. And we uh, raced as a two-person mixed team, so male-female mixed team, and um, broke the uh, the record. So we averaged 17.36 miles an hour for about 930 miles. <laughs> yep. Oh, my gosh. So 900, how long did that take you? How many days was that? It was like two days and five hours, I think. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So how did that work? How did it work? Did you... Because I know we talked a little bit about when you did Race Across America with uh, Casey. Mm-hmm. Is it Casey? Mm-hmm. Sorry. Her, I had the last name for a minute and I was like, oh my gosh, is it Casey? Yeah. Um, yeah. So how did it work and was it different as far as the time on the bike and time resting and all of that? Yeah, it was definitely a lot different just because, um, you know, even though the course goes through the same route that Casey and I did, you know, the weather makes a huge difference. So this year we had a lot of like really unfavorable winds and it was a lot hotter through the desert. So areas like sections that Casey and I went through really fast, we went through a lot slower. So um, our strategy is a little different because we we knew we were only going to be on the bike for two days. So during the day we were for the first like 12 hours, we were doing short pulls they were anywhere from like um, two miles or um, even as short as a mile if we were going uphill um, to up to like 30 minutes, like maybe like eight or nine or 10 miles. And then at night we were doing like hour on, hour off. Wow. So we weren't taking, so, you know, I pretty much slept like two hours in two days because I can't, I don't sleep very well. So the first day I couldn't sleep at all. Does Jason have trouble sleeping too? No, that he can just fall down to sleep immediately. He was sleeping in between pools and they were having to wake him up. And I was like, what? When I found out, I was so mad afterwards. I was like, it wasn't sleep across the West, (laughs) but it's definitely a gift he has. So how did you guys train for this? It was not really easy. Um, You know, not that the volume of training was hard because I wouldn't say that that was out of the norm for either of us. I think just the demands on having two people kind of training that much and still living together and maintaining your house and your relationship and your jobs, that was what was hard. So um, we had to take a lot of turns. So like I would ride outside on Mondays and Wednesdays and he would ride outside on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So it was a lot of like negotiating. Yeah. And you didn't really train together that much except on the weekends, right? Well, he actually has a schedule that's different than mine. So no, we didn't even, no, we might've done together to like race. Race days? No. I don't even, I mean, we might've gone on like two bike rides together. Oh, that's funny. It was crazy. Yeah. Like he's, yeah, I wish we could train together more, but he, his schedule is different. Like he's off, you know, so he was off on Thursdays and Fridays. So he was getting his long rides in on days. Yeah. So it was really kind of crazy. Well, how do you train for that sort of distance and that intensity? Because 17 point, did you say nine? Uh, no, I wish 17.36. 17.36 miles an hour over that sort of distance is no small feat. Like how do mm-hmm. you stretch out the endurance plus the intensity? Like how do you even train for that? That's the hard part. Cause you know, with you, when you start adding the volume, you definitely, um, 
you know, you lose the speed. So you have to, you have to maintain those intervals and you have to maintain that speed work. And then we did a lot of like off on training. So we would go and ride really hard for 30 minutes. Then we would get, then we'd stop for 30 minutes. So we were practicing that because that's the other part is that it's, um, you know, I, I personally prefer that kind of format to me, my legs felt really good. Every time I'd get back on the bike, I would feel really fresh. But for Jason, he was like getting cold and feeling more like he was cramping up. Mm, So he prefers more like longer sustained kind of efforts. Yeah. I feel like that would be better um, as far as the shorter, because you at least have a countdown. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. 20 minutes, 15 minutes. I got 10 minutes, but yeah. Well, psychologically, I think it's, yeah, it's easier. Like it's way easier to to just say, Oh, I'm only going to get on the bike for like 30 minutes. Yeah. One of the things we talked about the first time, we spoke was how well suited women are for long distance racing. And that translates over to the bike as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So what makes us so good at that? Um, I think that one of the things, you know, because we have a higher body fat percentage, you know, on average compared to men, we, we have a better tendency to kind of sit in that fat burning zone um, for longer periods of time. So we, so my experience has been that I don't tend to see female athletes, you know, suffering from like electrolyte imbalance. They don't, they don't tend to cramp as much. Women tend to do a little bit better in heat, like the extreme temperatures than men do, especially like the heat. Um, it's just not as common to see them really suffering from cramps. Um, and I just think that from kind of the, um, the standpoint of like the psychological aspect, at the end of the day, I mean, women are just really tough. We're really mm-hmm. tough and we're smart enough to like really execute a race plan over a really extended period of time. Speaking and of race plans, yeah. your binder. Yeah. Let's talk about your binder situation. <laughs> I did not know this about you. I don't think I knew this about you until I heard you on Rich Roll. Uh, I was like, oh my binders. gosh, your binder. Okay. So talk about your Epic Five binder. Yeah. So I I love you know, endurance racing, I love ultras because, you know, one of the reasons that I'm drawn to it is the fact that you can't control what's happening and you have to be kind of prepared for everything. And I love that. I love that whole, like, you know, Girl Scout, Boy Scout mentality of like, you know, we know how to fix this or we know how to fix that. So I like to be really, really organized. And I think that my organization is kind of what helps me, but that's what helps my anxiety is just Mm -hmm. being super organized and feeling like I can, I know that I'm prepared for all these things. So I, when I went to race Epic Five, it was funny because, you know, I've been in communication with the race director. I asked all these questions. And of course, you know, I show up with like a three ring binder and I have like the maps printed for every island. You know, I have like where all the local hospitals are, where all the places get food are, what time those places close. And she's just looking at me like, who are you? (laughs) I'm like, let me tell you that there's a taxi service that runs until two o'clock in the morning. So she's like, can I take this information and use this for the next race? <laughs> yeah, and she is her, she's the same way herself, but she just, you know, this it's funny because she's very organized, extremely, extremely organized. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of the ongoing joke is let me check my binder because I'm always walking around to events with these like three ring binders that have all this information in it. It's so funny, so funny. So let's talk about mental toughness a little bit obviously these endurance feats take a ton of mental toughness and there's no doubt you were born with some and then you were raised by some, but what goes on in your head 
when you sign up for a race and then you, you keep training, I mean, what is your mental process? Do you wake up every day just completely doubt free that you're going to accomplish whatever you set out to do? I mean, what is your mental process through all of this? No, I, you know, I, I'm definitely not doubt free. I mean, there are plenty of times when, um, you know, even training for race across America, my husband was in a, a snowboarding accident, like the, a really kind of freaking nature accident where he separated his clavicle and a piece of the bone came off and chipped an artery and he had internal bleeding in his chest. And, you know, there's things like that that happen where you're like, wow, like that was a huge setback for him. I don't really know that we're going to be able to, you know, do this because I'm having to depend on somebody else. Um, or if you get sick, you know, those are the kinds of things that are going to happen where I kind of lean into my previous training where it's like, I know that, you know, I got food poisoning before Epic 5 and I lost nine pounds in two days. And that was not, you know, at the time that was like made me very anxious and I thought that it was going to have a huge impact on the event. But then because I was able to kind of overcome that. Um, but for the most part, no. I mean, when I have good training days, uh, of course, I feel a lot more confident than when I have bad training days. There's a lot of days where it's more like, um, why did I sign up for this? I thought this was going to be so much easier than it is. <laughs> or if it's like really hot, I'm like, God, I'm so stupid. Why did I sign up for something that was in the summertime? Like, you know, you don't like the, and then it's so we just forget. I mean, I told Jason after this last race that I was like, Oh, I'm going to take a break from racing. We weren't even back in town yet. And I had signed up for something else. So <laughs> everything that's negative seems to be, um, it seems to go away really quickly. Yeah. Which is good. Um, I just tend not to focus on it or, um, just remind myself that this, that's a normal, natural way that I feel. Like I always feel this way when I taper. I should always feel this way. But I, I have a much um, stronger tendency to lean towards being kind of overly positive about things. Yeah. Or sometimes a little like delusional. Delusional is good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love when I see you and um, Brent Peace on Instagram saying nobody yeah. cares, work harder. What does that mean? Where did that come from? <laughs> So, um, we have a, we have a really fun relationship and, um, we do like to kind of joke around about the fact that at the end of the day, you know, it's just, he's like, you don't have anybody to impress that, that no, so nobody cares. Like this, you know, I don't, any goal that I set for myself at this point or anything that I'm trying to do, like, I, I don't, you know, I'm going to do a 24 hour race. I don't, I'm not trying to ride a certain amount of miles because I care that Meredith Atwood, um, you know, is going to be impressed. I'm doing it for myself. So, um, when you're out there and you're, you know, you're putting in the hard work and you're putting in the training, everybody likes to post about the good workouts or, you know, look at me, I rode this many miles or I did this, but that's not really, that's not where you're building that mental mentality. It's the days that you didn't want to go to the pool and you did it anyways, or the days that you wanted to cut your run short and you figured out a way not to, like, that's where, I mean, that's where the real grit is, um, is being formed in those kind of workouts. So that's kind of our back and forth, like nobody cares, work harder. I know. I love it. I see yeah. it all over. It's, yeah. And I feel like I don't even stalk you guys that much. I just, you know, I'm scrolling and I'm like, oh, there it is again. Nobody cares, work harder. And I started saying it around my house and my kids are like, mom, <laughs> <laughs> nobody cares. It's true. Harder. And I kind of got it from, you know, really from my dad who even from the beginning of my training, you know, I remember one time I rode like 200 miles and. I call my dad every single day. So he's like, so what did you do today? And I'm like, I rode 200 miles. He was like, 200 miles, that's it? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's it. He said, I hate to break it to you, sweetheart, but the country is really big. You're going to have to ride more than that if you want to ride across the country. And I was like, 
uh, okay. It's like, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> That's kind of how he always is. Though. It's so Which true, though. Funny. It's so true. Yep. So what do you think about people that use certain words and language that it just kind of makes your eyes roll? And what I mean is when you say something to someone and you're like, they're like, oh, but that's hard. And and it can be like the simplest things. Like, I need you to do your stretching this evening. Oh, th- yeah, that's hard. Or, you know, something like that. Just use of the word hard. How has that changed for you? I think the more, I mean, your definition of hard and your threshold, it's like your threshold for pain. I have a lot, you know, I don't have kids, but I have a lot of friends who, after they had children, became much stronger athletes because their threshold for discomfort and pain was just so elevated. So, I mean, I think there's a difference between, and I'm very careful about using those words, like there's a difference between being in pain and being uncomfortable, and there's a difference between something being hard or just something being an inconvenience to you. So when somebody says that's that's hard, I'm like, well, no, it's not hard. It's just not a priority. Yeah. And there's a big difference because, um, you know, things are as hard as you allow them to be, or things are as hard as you as you, you know, when you, so when you already put that energy out in the world and you say, well, that's really going to be impossible. Right. Then, you know, it's already, it's kind of already out there. Yeah. It's choosing your words. And I was talking about um, this with one of my athletes and she was having trouble with saying she was tired all the time. And she goes, I'm not even tired today. And I'm telling myself I'm so tired. And it's weird because we'll just get into these patterns. And mine is, I don't have time. I'm running out of time. I'm never going to get all this done. And just flipping those switches in our heads to say, I have all the time that I need. I'm actually not tired. I feel great today. It, it's yeah. so crazy. Like Because especially for long distance stuff, you've got yeah. to tell yourself some some different stories. Yeah. I'm really into the positive self-talk and I, and I do try really hard not to, you know, not to be negative about myself. And I do, I mean, I lie to myself all the time. I will tell myself like, you're full of energy. You feel great. Your body's in complete, complete working order. Like I will say that over and over, even if it's not right. Like I'll be like, oh, you're not really tired. It's Or if I feel like I'm getting sick, I'm constantly like, oh, you're not getting sick. It's just allergies. <laughs> like I talk oh, I myself out too. of things. I say that all the time. I am not sick. I am not sick. And I, I don't get sick if I right. say that. Yeah. No, I feel the same way. So just putting that kind of positive energy and not saying. And I also, I hate excuses. So, you know, when I'm working with a coach and when I'm looking at the way I upload my workouts and what I write, I'm very cautious about writing something up and saying, is that an excuse? So, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't hit your metrics and your, your workout doesn't look the way that your coach is expecting it to, do you start the entire thing off with an excuse? Like, do you start it all off with all the reasons why you didn't do it? Or are you just, are you being honest with yourself? Yes, that's a big one. Reality. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And just and, being accountable with yourself and just saying, rather than saying all the reasons why you didn't hit your intervals. I mean, I'll say, hey, I just didn't, I got hungry. <laughs> My workout was 120, you know, you know, however many minutes long. And I only did, you know, 70% of it because I needed a snack. And then I just got too lazy and didn't want to get back on the bike. Right. Right. Just owning that. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, my favorite one is I ran out of time. I, I get that a lot from athletes. Yeah. I, I ran out of time. Like, what? wait, no. What does that mean? Just say you didn't plan well. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's it. I mean, well. nobody wants to tell well. you like, oh, I sat on the toilet for 30 minutes watching YouTube videos instead <laughs> of getting. <laughs> but sometimes you're like, well, what were you doing? I was in the stall at Lifetime exactly. Fitness on Facebook exactly. before I got in the pool. Yep. 
Yeah. It got me every time. Yeah. 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 All right. So tell me about what the newest thing is. Yeah. So um, I have a race that's coming up here in a few weeks. We got done with Race Across the West. Um, we had a crew that was that was made up of half of the crew was men and half the crew were women. And then we did some sightseeing afterwards. We went to like Lower Antelope Canyon, the Grand Canyon, Arches National Park and all that. Um, and so we ended up being split up and the guys were riding in one van and the um, the women were in another. And we just started talking about like women and ultra cycling because they're really underrepresented. So most ultra cycling events um, have maybe 75% of the participants are men. So what, wait, before you go on, what, what is considered ultra cycling? Like how many miles? So ultra cycling is usually something that has more than 200, an event that's more than 200 miles. Okay. Or um, that would be considered kind of an ultra cycling. So out West, they do a lot of double centuries. We don't really have any of those here, but they do like just double century rides. Um, and that's kind of considered an ultra cycling event. And I think a lot of people are, you know, the conversation was really about like how many, how many people have reached out to me and said, I'm just, I'm tired of doing the same thing. I want to try something that's a little bit different. And in running, you know, the next step is, you know, to run a 50 K or a 50 miler. But in cycling, there's not really a kind of a progression, but there's a lot of people that love to ride bikes that just don't have an idea of like, well, what else can I do? So that kind of started this conversation. And of course I'm joking, you know, halfway joking about it. And I'm like, we should start like a female cycling group. And our, our goal is to try to get more women in cycling. And I'm like, we could have kits made and all this stuff. And I'm like, but then, you know, it needs to be kind of cheesy and it needs to be, you know, a little bit funny. And next thing you know, you know, my friend Sarah, she's texting her husband about trying to get like a design made. And he was like, it went from being nothing to, he was like, I don't understand. This wasn't even an idea two year, two hours ago. And now it's like deaf content. <laughs> she was like, have you met Danny? Yeah. <laughs> I had I already, say. <laughs> yeah. I'd already, I'd already contacted like the Castelli rep. I'm like, we need these kits by this date. And, and by like three days later, we had met, we had sold like 20 kits and we had all these people sign up for this race and it was pretty cool. So, you know, that was the idea was just to create a, um, you know, informal kind of group of women who might be interested in ultras and then to pick out some key races and try to um, have groups of women that come together and then, you know, have me kind of writing some blog um, content or writing articles on helping them. So, you know, I just published an article on bike lights and just telling people like, this is what I do overnight. Like if you've never ridden your bike at, at night, here's how you would start doing that. Okay. But you didn't tell us the name of your group. Oh, sorry. We're the lady, <laughs> the lady bike gang. The lady bike gang. I love yeah, it. The LVG. I love it. Yeah, okay. So where can gang. they find out more about lady bike gang? So we have, we're on Facebook, so you can go like our Facebook page, um, and we're on Instagram as well. And then on my website, on my blog is where we're writing the content. Um, and then we're going to be at the Mid-Atlantic Ultra Bike Race in August that's in Washington, North Carolina. Very cool. And you won't be able to miss us because there's going to be a ton of us in kits that have a huge uh, unicorn on them. <laughs> Oh my gosh. That's so great. Okay. So what's next after that event? Do you have anything planned? No. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I turned 40 in a couple of years and I'm already planning. I, I keep calling it my midlife crisis. And Jason's like, it can't be a crisis if you're planning it right now. Right. So I am. You're like, have you seen something. my binder? <laughs> yeah. I'm planning a midlife adventure. Like I want to just do something really 
like crazy when I turn 40, but I haven't totally figured it out yet. Um, but it's going to, it's going to include like a bunch of, I think I'm leaning more now towards, um, things that might not be races, but just more like adventures. Yeah. Um, so Jason and I are going to be in Iceland in the fall. We're looking at, you know, ice climbing, you know, caving, just things like that, that I haven't done yet. And then sprinkling some races in there too. Oh, that'll be good. Well, Danny, as always, I love chatting with you. I appreciate it. Love talking to you too. Yeah. So what is something you do on a daily basis that contributes to your best 24 hours? What is your life hack? I can't remember what you said last time. I should have gone back and listened because you no repeats. <laughs> really? I don't even remember what it was. I don't either. I think, Maybe um, I didn't even ask you. I think I did. You, you might have. I think one thing I do is every day I figure out a way to express gratitude for something that I shouldn't be grateful for. So um, just taking something that's that's unpleasant or how something that other people would view as negative, and rather than um, you know focusing on that, I'm grateful for the opportunity to ride my bike and do intervals today, rather yeah. than having to do it. That's very stoic of you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, lady. 